Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited with the guests that we have today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, you know, amazing, you know, the journey of this entrepreneur going from the investment side to the operator side now and a super inspiring story. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Christina Cachopo. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So. You were born in Iowa, but you were, you know, you moved around a little bit. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane so that the listeners can get to know you. How was life growing up? Good. I grew up in um, Midwestern college town, the Iowa City, and then Columbus, Ohio. I uh, still bleed scarlet and gray. Um, my parents are, were both professors, really loved their work. And I thought that's what everyone's, you know, that's what jobs were like. Um, you were like really, really excited about your job every day. Um, took me a while to realize not every adult feels that way. Well, you 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 were going to go in, in, into those uh, footsteps. So what happened? What, what what made you change direction there? Yeah. So sometimes, again, my parents are both professors, um, loved what they did, uh, liked learning new things. I was a curious kid and academics and academia, actually, which is like really familiar. Like I understood how it worked. I you know, kind of literally grew up like running around the hallways of the psychology department at Ohio State. And so just for a long time, I kind of, I think, implicitly assumed I'd be a professor um, or I'd try to be one, at least. So again, it made a lot of sense. It seemed really accessible. I 
went to school out in California, Stanford, studied economics, really like, to this day, really enjoy microeconomics and thought I was going to go do that or try to do that until probably 21 or so. Uh, it was kind of the end of school. I had just written my undergrad thesis and sort of realized that adults do other things with their lives, uh, not just become professors. So ended up staying in school a fifth year, got a master's degree. And in that year, actually took a bunch of product design classes and like learned this whole other thing that was not economic problem sets. It was like building things with your hands and with pixels. Uh, super fun put me on this, this kind of separate path that um, I'm still on today. Now, when you go to Stanford and, and, and you get to experience there the innovation that is going around you, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, decide to, uh, to go that path. I mean, in your case, you decided to go to Europe, then you go to New York. And what, what do you think took you so long to say, hey, let's go? Um, I think I felt like I had to do a lot of things before I was ready to start a company. I think in retrospect, this was not as true as I thought it was. But, you know, I think I had a lot of hang ups. I think some of it was oh, I can't code. Um, and people who start software companies just both generally can and seem like you should, right? Like, how are you going to make this product if you can't actually make it? And so I think there's some of that. I think there was honestly also some amount of like, you know, people like me for whatever definition you want to use, like don't start companies. And so it, it wasn't it wasn't something that was like kind of obvious. It was obvious to like that people could do or I don't know, it just like wasn't that obvious to me. And what, what, do, you, what do you mean with people like me? I mean, you seem to me to me very capable of starting a company. What what do you mean with people like me? Yeah, I don't. I mean, what are different definitions? I think there's a bit of like, I mean, quote unquote, non technical, right? Like can't code. Got it. I think that's totally a, a big piece of it. Uh, you know, didn't study computer science. Uh, more than a couple classes in school. Didn't really feel like I knew an industry, right? Like what, especially when you're 21, like what is an industry? Let alone like, do you know anything about them? Um. You know, somewhat seemed like you should probably have a job before you try to employ people. Employing people just sounded very scary. Uh, it sounded very, like, intense. <laughs> right. Um, unclear what it means, but, like, yeah. not a good thing. <laughs> um, just a responsible thing. So then teaching yourself, you know, to code. Because obviously you were just, like, talking about, no, I didn't know how to code. So then what, what pushed you to learn, you know, to code and, you know, teaching yourself to code? I mean, that sounds pretty, like, an adventure. Yeah, that <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. So one, so after school, I got basically was really lucky. And I worked at an early stage venture capital firm in New York called Union Square Ventures. And to the like people like me don't start companies thing, that was really helpful because over two years, I probably met with like 500 or 600 different founders. And so you just see just a bunch of people, right? You're like, whatever definition I had of like me, people like that start companies. Um, and yeah. so that was actually really helpful for a lot of the, you know, whatever that hang up was but to the coding point i still felt like hey i want to go start a company around a product but i can't make the product and now i know people some people do that but i just that's not my style i feel like i have to be able to i feel like i have to understand this so what i literally did was i took my bonus from working there and just lived off of it for two years so I've got a different lifestyle um and took online classes. The first thing I did with this like Udacity, build a blog on the internet class um, and built a blog first thing with the database and then turned it into a book website. Because um, my favorite part of like going to someone's apartment was like seeing their bookshelf. Um, and so I made a website 
where, where you could do that. It was kind of like Goodreads, but better, but sort of worse. And, you know, these weren't supposed to be companies, but they were like things to teach me how to build products and did that for a year or so, a little bit longer. Now, during the time at Union Square Ventures, I mean, definitely one of the best uh, VCs, you know, uh, and in the East Coast, you know, right up there, you know, at least for me, yeah. you know, top three, you know, maybe depending on what you're thinking, marketplaces and things like that, you know, it could be number one. But, you know, meeting 500 founders is a lot of founders. And I know, I know you see, you know, you were with legends, you know, like uh, Fred Wilson, Albert Wenger, you know. Yeah. What What did you learn from, you know, the, the, basically like when it comes to pattern recognition on 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 what it really takes to succeed and, and what perhaps separated the founders that had potential from the ones that didn't have that potential? Yeah, a couple of things. So one is the, and it's something I've like kind of harped on at Vanta a little bit, but is like fundraising success is not company building success. And these are like two, like raising money is often well, helpful or necessary for, you know, building a successful software business, but they're not the same thing at all. Like one is like the money is a means to an end. And I think you see that in folks who raise money, feel great about it. And then for whatever happened, like they don't have product market fit, something changes and they lose product market fit. And then it like doesn't matter that you raised all this money. Like you you don't have a thing that works. And if you start to lose faith in that, anyway, that's that's kind of all bets are off. And you see how I think we talk, you know, we talk about the companies that do really well. We talk about the companies that explode, like just get destroyed in spectacular fashion. Um, but there's actually this whole kind of middle or segment of companies that just keep going, kind of. And how hard that is and how actually that's that's actually the most common outcome. It's not, you know. You again, everything like disintegrates on you in a week. It's like, no, it's just a slow decay over years and how hard that is. And so I think actually that made me quite skeptical of lots of ideas and ideas of my own is like, is this an idea that's good enough? Because even if you can raise money for it, that doesn't actually mean that like it's something the market wants. I think that piece. I think the other piece too is there was like a I mean, it's, it sounds cliche, but like a clarity of communication where there were some founders who could explain what they were doing and there's some that couldn't. And if you couldn't explain what you're doing, it's just like everything else was harder, raising money, recruiting people, all of that. And how, you know, that sounds simple, but there was, there was also a middle segment there too, where people who kind of, especially like technologists who'd like invented something, but they didn't quite know like what it was useful for yet or how to explain it. And that's where actually, I think, I think, this is one of Fred Wilson's superpowers is like sometimes could like see that um, and be like, no, no, there is a thing here. They can't quite explain it, but like we can get it here. That piece. So anyway, so communication, obviously very important. It's not, you know, uh, if you don't have it in the beginning, you're, you're ruined, but like you do need to figure that out. And actually in the later stage founders, you just saw like a succinctness, a clarity of thought and a clarity of communication. Um, that I think probably transferred and translated into a bunch of other things, you know, being more decisive internally, being clearer internally, being able to like talk to the folks you've hired and explain direction and set that, all of that. Got it. Now, you know, let's talk about the, uh, you know, Vanta, because uh, yeah. as they say, you know, ideas, they are dormant, you know, it take time to incubate, marinate, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, at what point, you know, did it come to you and then, what were the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to say, okay, let's go? Yeah. So kind of back to the skepticism. So, okay. So the first bit was, so 
I kind of career arc briefly of building all this stuff off my old bonus. It was fun, but also didn't really have health insurance. Wasn't a great setup. So eventually decided to get a real job, joined Dropbox in San Francisco and was a product manager there, trying to take this new product to market, Dropbox Paper, to the time. And I was just like the PM trying to run around and launch launch this new thing, you know, convinced it would, it would all work. And in the process of doing that, basically like ran headfirst into Dropbox's legal team who were being totally doing their jobs. And, you know, as I was giving the product away to customers, came and found me and said, hey, you're breaking all of our contracts. Because the contracts with these customers say Dropbox is SOC 2 compliant and pen tested and HIPAA compliant and like regulated and, you know, this, that, and the other. Your product isn't any of those. So you need to, you know, fix that, right? And I was, again, kind of the doofus CPM who's like, I don't know what any of those words mean. Like, would you mind explaining them? I'm sure I can take care of it. When in fact, it was, you know, many months of, you know, my little, little uh, hubris there. So that's my first exposure to these processes. So it's basically like, they're necessary in order to launch. Uh, it is this huge blocker in time sync, super manual, um, but you have to go through it. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is, this is not what I imagined my launch would be like. <laughs> not at all. So then, so then, so then what happened next? You know, at what point did you say, okay, you know, we're going to go with this. And then how did you think about, you know, taking the first steps and, and, you know, towards that execution of bringing it to life? Yeah. So then there was like, I, you know, I've, I wish I could tell you the story. I was like, oh, I ran into them and then I really started a company and like the next day after the races was not that smart. Honestly, what happened is like, you know, did some of this work, some of this work, tried to just run away from a Dropbox for about a year, left. Uh, exploring different ideas, was really interested in security and particularly helping startups build their security programs. So spent a bunch of time with startups in San Francisco and founders talking to them about, hey, like, what are your security practices? And people would generally look at me like, don't really have any. I know I should, but I feel guilty telling you this. And kind of through that process came back around the compliance because it was basically this thing where it's like, oh, this is how you show you're secure and you need it to for the you know to launch or to get these customers and because you want the customers because you want to launch you'll like go through the whole process anyway and so came back around and that was you know because the second part of the aha moment from there it was like a six-month process of interviews be doing all the things that vanta does today manually um so going into people's companies and doing this manually to try to see if they actually could do it and then building more and more software around that over time so there was probably a six-month phase where it was like, hey, can we even do this? Um, does anyone trust us? Uh, and then, oh, can we do it in a standardized way? Like, do the companies all roughly look the same? Um, and then, oh, yeah, this all this sounds awesome. Good. Let's go, you know, let's go build even more. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not no, 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 Tom Chris. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes. And it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. 
The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman yourselves needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing businesses. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. So I guess for the uh, for the people that are listening to really you know get it, what ended up being the business model of Vanta? How do you guys make money? Yeah, we are a subscription software business. So sell usually annual subscriptions to, I mean, Vanta writ large is how it works today. With that, the software will help you monitor your company's assets like cloud infrastructure, laptops, people, employees and accounts and vendors and basically make sure all of that is both working well today and there aren't any major security gaps, snafus, holes within or across any of those things. And then because you've got things in relatively good shape, we will help you go demonstrate that and show that off with a compliance certification like to or HIPAA or a trust center, or like a page where you can say like, hey, here's all my security practices. Like you, you should, you know, we truly actually do protect customer data. And so you, you can trust us. And you guys have also raised quite a bit of money. How much have you raised uh, to date? About $200 million across roughly an that's, A and a B round. That's a lot of zeros, Christina. You know, but the, uh, <laughs> but the, 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 the good news here is that you knew, you know, what it failed to be on the other side of the table. So what would you say that you took from being on the other side, you know, to now being on the actual hot seat and and really, I guess, making sure that you were picking the right people for the right reasons for this? Yeah. So a couple of things. And I think it did help. Uh, I never pitched before Vanta, but it did help having seen a bunch of pitches. And I think one part, honestly, is just not being scared of investors. Like, you know, there's a little bit of like, they should feel honored to invest in your business. You don't have to go full, full onto that, but just some bit of like, they're, they're humans as well, right? And they might be, ex humans who are extraordinarily good at their jobs, to your point about like Fred and Albert and the USB folks, but they're also just people. Um, they're not gods. Anyway, so there's probably that like overall frame. I think also a little bit of the, you know, kind of funny, goofy psychology of investors like to fund businesses that don't need to be funded. And so the best way to raise money is to not need to raise money. And that is, you know, both the timing comment and like how you raise, how you build your business. Um, so for the first couple of years, Vanta operated at cash flow break even. And that wasn't, 
it wasn't because we didn't want to raise money or, you know, wanted to bootstrap. It was more just like, oh, no, if we want to raise money, this is, again, this is the way to get people to want to fund the business. And we could. Uh, and it, it saves a lot of headaches as well, I think. So those two pieces, the, you know, investors can be extraordinarily good at their jobs, but they're just people. And the, yeah, the best way to be funded is to not need to be funded um, as much as possible. So it sounds like you had, I mean, obviously, you know, being in the space, you know, for a few years with uh, Unisquare Ventures, you had the network. Uh, you were uh, also, as you were saying, you know, operating in, in cash flow uh, on the cash flow positive side of things. But at what point do you, you know, think, hey, you know, I think that we should activate now the network. And then also what kind of trust or communication were you building over the course of time until you mm -hmm. were able to activate the switch? Yeah, it's a good question. Okay, so we decided to raise when we were at about $10 million in revenue. Um, this ended up being like early 2021 and decided to raise for a couple of reasons. One, we felt like raising more money actually could help us go faster. Um, some of it was actually because people thought people being customers, candidates, other investors thought we were actually much smaller than we were because um, we hadn't raised money, right? And so it's like, oh, they're probably, you know, a million or two in revenue. And you're like, oh, no, 10 times that. And I think that filtered into a bunch of other parts of the market. So anyway, so that was some of the motivation. It was also easier to attract candidates because it's like, oh, if we like seem this like more stable, more real company than than they thought. It's also silly because, you know, we were the same company before and after. But from a from the outside perspective, you know, we seemed much larger. So that was some of the why around then. Honestly, I also think like the market like was starting to heat up. There were more people who'd like seen our success and started copying it. And so it was like, okay, well, let's just, you know, go um, for it. Prior to that, so it was, it was sort of the advice that's, I think, you know, kind of given, but as investors, people like to invest in lines, not dots, kind of famous blog post. And basically the idea is like, right, you're building this relationship over time. And like one meeting is a dot. And each, meet, you know, or each meeting is a dot and you want to like connect them. And hopefully there's a, you can't actually draw a line up into the up into the right there. And so would have touch points with a handful of investors, but honestly, it wasn't super often every four to six months, you know, they would sort of ask me request ask like how much of our revenue and I, you know, would decline to tell them in some, you know, circuitous but very polite way, try to be anyway. They would say, how can we be helpful? <laughs> and I'd say, oh, I'd love, I'd love customers. Like, can you introduce your portfolio companies to Vanta? Um, and hey, by the way, if you do that, you can diligence us, like, Go ask them if it was a good experience, if we knew how to sell, if, if you know, it actually worked, right? Like, th this is really a favor for you, <laughs> not me. <laughs> um, um, and I think we're like, oh, sure. <laughs> but they did it. And so. Now, now, in your guys' case, you have over 300 employees and you've also opened offices outside of the U.S. You know, when you think about culture too, and I guess every office, you know, has its own culture to a certain degree. but. What is that process of of opening an office, you know, outside of the U.S. and and making sure that the culture is just as close as possible to what you have going on at the headquarters? It's a great question. So we've so we've done this twice now. We have an office in Sydney and an office in Dublin, and in both cases, roughly the offices that have been opened um, half by folks locally, so like someone you know Australian lived in Sydney, um, experienced in B two B SaaS, and half actually Vantans. Uh, American Vantons that we have like sent to Sydney for 
some number of years, like on a, on a life journey. Um, and it, it is that kind of meld, right? So the office ends up being like 50%, you know, Vanta US who's come over and 50% local. Um, and that's just one way of trying to like feed it in a way where, again, you get the benefits of everything local, but you get some of Vanta core too. The other bit is just there's Zoom calls and like trips, right? And it's bringing people actually, you know, next week, all of the revenue teams advance us so sales, CS, parts of marketing are all getting together in person. And like the global folks are very much coming, right? And so I think there's also this bit of on a company level, like if you have a sales kickoff or you have a company event, like bring in the Australians and the Europeans as well, right? They are part of the sales team. It is not just a North America event um, and things like that too. Cause like that, that, that just is invaluable. Now, in your case too, you know, when we're thinking about culture as well, you recently completed an acquisition and, uh, you know, most acquisitions fail because of the integration. So I guess when it came to the integration and, you know, we we're just talking about culture, what kind of uh, safety measures or how did you all think about executing on this to ensure the success of it? It's a great question. And we're working through it. So hopefully this this answer doesn't sound, I don't know, terrible in you know, six months. We're <laughs> um, just like way off. Um, but I think a couple of things. So beforehand, like there, and this was part of, I think, the the company we acquired their decision to to sell, but, but in general and to us was, was a values alignment. And a lot of the conversations I had with the founder of the other company were, were I mean, they were about Vanta, but they weren't, right? They were about like, you know, a little bit of like, Christina, what's your childhood? How does that influence how you work at Vanta? Like, you know, those, and I'm, I'm being a little jokey, but also very serious, right? It was very much a like, who are you as a person? What do you want on both sides sort of conversation to try to be like, is there enough alignment here? Because in some ways, actually, the vision and the product stuff totally made sense. So that was like, yeah, 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 sure. But like, as people, this work um so some of the before stuff and then i think as we you know executed on it and are continuing to integrate and a lot of ways it does come back to people right and it is just like these touch points and being like you know how does this feel does this feel right like is anything you know being messed up scale of one to ten how do you feel right now and then how you know like knowing the other person will be like i'm a two and here's why i'm a two and you're like no one wants to be a two you know let's talk about that but actually just like literally having those touch points and, and conversations. Now, I think that you guys are quite um, lucky too on the type of business that you have with Vanta because, you know, the macro environment that uh, that we're right now dealing with, you know, is, is a little scary. You know, you got all these people, you know, that are doing layoffs and stuff like that, but nothing's stopping Vanta. You know what? <laughs> What's going on? You know, it doesn't get easier. You just go faster, as Greg Lamont said, uh, which I think is like very true in startup. I think there's that. I also think there is a bit of the the painkiller nature of the product, right? It's like the good security doesn't care what macroeconomic environment is and like hackers don't care. And the scrutiny in sales and someone being like, hey, can I use your product or will you like leak all my information all over the Internet? That happens in good times and bad. And so I think for all of those reasons, Vanta's been, you know, knock on wood and all that, but pretty resilient here. Like kind of if you're a B2B business, you're selling to bigger companies that are bigger than you are, you will need what Vanta offers. So that that's just true, you know, again, regardless of what the federal interest rate is or anything like that. That's amazing. Now, imagine you had the opportunity of going to bed tonight 
Christina, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Vanta is fully realized. What does that world look like? Oh, yeah. The security uh, of software is, is always verified or some high level. But basically, really high level, we go back to trusting the software we use um, and software companies. Um, right. And it's like, oh, here's some new software. Uh, you know, I'm going to use it and it'll do great things for me. And I know and I kind of feel confident in that, not where I feel like now we are, where it's like, oh, there's some new software and you're like, they're probably going to get breached. Like, you know, if you if you put any information in it, it's as good as being on the Internet. And so I think a world or Vantage Vision is realized is one where, you know, we're rigorous with the security of the software we use, but it's it's good. You have confidence in that and trust in that. I love that. Now, you know, in, in, in this case, you know, you guys have uh, grown quite a bit. I mean, we're talking about like, I think it's like something crazy, like in the last year, like over 78% growth on the job count. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, when you go from from early stage to, to growth stage, I mean, it's it's like, you know, an incredible transformation that the business is experiencing. I think that, you know, you have, that seed, that uh, Series A, you're still in the future possibility and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you go into growth stage and it's all about historicals and 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 then going as fast as possible, making sure that you don't break things. So what are some of the challenges, you know, that uh, that perhaps, you know, like are different now at, at a growth cool. stage? Yeah. I mean, now I think in the early days, it was like, how many fingers and toes do you have to like plug in all of the like holes, you know, and you're kind of like that Star Wars robot that's like trying to like um, uh, prevent the water from leaking out of the pipes that have, you know, leaks in a bunch of places. Now, the funny, the things I harp on are much more, I mean, I harp a bunch on speed. I'm like deathly afraid that now the vent is large and, you know, there's more people and more communication overhead and more processes that we will uh, get slower over time. And so that certainly changed. Um, I think in the early days, again, you're kind of running around and doing all of the jobs to the best of your ability, which is often quite poor. Uh, you're like doing your best. Um, and now, you know, it's very different because you have experts and people who are very good in at the role in the role. And so you know, the feedback I give changes, my role changes, like I'm not going to teach a great sales leader how to be a sales leader. Like that is that's recipe for disaster. Right. But but I do have a bunch of Vanta context. I have a bunch of customer context. I have, you know, a point of view on how the market's going to evolve anyway. And so it ends up being the conversations end up being much more about that than like, oh, who's going to send the follow up after the 2 p.m. sales meeting or like I got to run to this you know sales meeting that I will do my best at. But oof, hopefully it goes OK. <laughs> now we we were talking about you know future, you know the um you know where you're seeing things you know and 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 the vision too. If we were to take a look at the past and be able to take a look at the past with with some reflection, you know, imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time to you know maybe that moment that uh, that you were still at. Union Square Ventures and and wondering about maybe like doing something of your own and and perhaps you know bringing a solution to a problem that you were encountering. Imagine you know you had the opportunity of having a sit down with that younger Christina. Oh yeah, and being able to tell that younger Christina you know one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? 
Yeah, I mean, it's that I like cringe when I think through that and I cringe because it's like I would just want to tell like younger Christina to like chill out. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, work very hard and like things will happen, but like work very hard and things things will happen. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is no more complicated or simple than that. Anyway, so there's like something in there um, for sure. I don't know. I mean, I think it was actually at USV. Uh, I can't remember who this was, but someone it was like I was late. Or, or I think I like blew off a meeting like because I just like misread my calendar totally inadvertently and I was just like mortified basically and the other person was very nice about it and was basically look there's like look universe karma like someone's going to do this to you just just be nice to them you know like you you know you're like minus one you'll get back to zero right but just be nice you know you're, you're down one on the universe but but it'll come back that was very helpful in the moment but I actually do think of that and there's a bit of like oh you just want to like play the universe karma game uh, for when things go well and things go poorly is like not totally rake yourself over the coals for it but in the like yeah work hard play the universe karma game you're not gonna be able to control when stuff happens but like hopefully you just have enough shots where something works i love it now for the people that are listening christina i would love to uh, reach out and say hi what is the best way for them to do so email probably christina at vanta.com first name at v-a-n-t-a.com Amazing. Well, hey, Christina, thank you so, so much for being on The Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode. <laughs>